God, thanks for the worship this morning. Amen. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we are grateful for this day. We are grateful, Lord, for the opportunity to be able to gather together and give thanks in worship. And so, Lord, we come and we ask, Lord, that your spirit would be among us and that we would open our hearts to a fresh anointing of your presence. That we would receive the healing we need, that we would receive the forgiveness we need, that we would be open, Lord, to the work you want to do in our lives. Even in the painful and sorrowful and grief-filled seasons of our lives. To that end, Lord, I pray that you would pour upon me the gift of preaching, that my very frail and broken and human words might, by the power of your Holy Spirit, become your living word, uniquely crafted for each and every one of our hearts. We pray it with great confidence, for we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sorry, I think my mic is cutting in and out a little bit, so hopefully um, I'll speak up enough for you to hear if it's doing that. Weeks, we delved into the counterintuitive truth that the formula for a fulfilling life is not just about the cultural answer, which is to maximize experiences of joy and happiness, but more crucial, it's how to deal with pain and sorrow. Susan Cain says when we properly integrate pain and sorrow with joy and happiness, it actually makes our lives more fulfilling. This is the bittersweet that she talks about in life. In week two, we took a deep dive into how much pain, sorrow, and grief is all around us all the time, including the harsh reality that we and everyone we love one day will die. Then last week, we began looking at what the experience of wholeness in a life filled with sorrow and longing looks like. Up first was the embrace of poignancy. That's what we talked about last week. Poignancy is the richest feelings humans experience, one that gives meaning to life. And when we're fearing pain and sorrow, then we tend to be afraid of poignancy because in those moments, the sadness and the joy are interacting, right? And you can have poignant moments over very profound things. Um, but you can also have poignant moments over really simple things, right? I was walking my 13-year-old dog the other day. I love that dog. And I, was just, I had poignant feelings about I don't have a lot of time left with him, you know? And so I was just appreciating that moment a lot. But it's the hard part is we have to learn to embrace it. And when we do and we allow those feelings, it's actually a blessing to us. And it brings meaning into our life. And so today, in addition to learning to embrace the poignant moments, we're going to study another benefit of leaning into the bittersweet in life, and that is the calling to turn our own pain and sorrow into something beautiful. Susan Cain says one way we accomplish this is through meaning-making, through meaning-making, which is founded on the idea that we all have two existential obligations. The first is simply to survive, right? This is very intuitive. But the second is to create a life worth living. And the question is, how do we create a life worth living? Is, is a life worth living only a life that doesn't include pain and sorrow? Or are we courageous enough to say, no, our life includes those things as well as the happy 
When pain, suffering, tragedy, or grief overwhelm us, we can lose all sense of meaning. The challenge is to integrate that pain and suffering we're experiencing in such a way that we even so that our life has meaning. As Christians consider meaning-making, it resonates with what Scripture reveals about God's will for our lives. In the face of this, the pain avoidance part of us might ask, why would God demand something so difficult from us? Why does pain and suffering have to take a central role in certain seasons of our lives? Because our role model, Jesus' life, centered around such a transformation. Jesus not only chooses to become human, and in so doing, knowingly exposes himself to death. Think about that. The creator, who is eternal, exposes himself to the greatest piece of pain and suffering that we face in this life. He exposes himself to death. As violent forces of darkness stand against him, he freely submits to the vindictive abuse and bloody violence inflicted upon him. Then he dies a shameful and very public and humiliating death on a thief's cross. But then, on the third day, all Jesus' pain and sorrow is turned into something beautiful as he's resurrected from the dead. This is the ultimate meaning-making move, right? For his sacrificial act not only transforms his pain into beauty... His sacrifice transforms our own sin-soaked pain into beauty. For Christ saves us from our sin, from the darkness, and gives us eternal life, which includes a death blow to death itself. Jesus conquers our greatest enemy, death, when he rises from the dead. And so Jesus' pain and sorrow turning into beauty also includes us, you and me, our pain is turned into beauty through the sacrifices that Jesus makes. And so we see in Jesus' life and death and resurrection a role model for his disciples, that's you and me, by the way, regarding what abundant life looks like in a fallen world. As such, in following Jesus, we learn how to be courageous in learning to make meaning of our own experiences of pain and sorrow. And just like Jesus' transformation influences ours, right? We're to follow him and live as he did. Our transformation influences those around us as it becomes a central witness of God's kingdom in the world. This is one of the reasons God wants us to face pain and sorrow, integrate it into our lives, and help turn it into something beautiful. Is so that us doing that, living into that, is a witness to those around us who only hear the voices of culture, which say you can't, you should deflect from pain and suffering at all costs, right? But So we're a witness to them, and of course the way they learn to do it is as they come to know Jesus, that's where we find the ability and the courage for true meaning-making, right? The most profound meaning-making comes in our relationship with Christ. And we see Peter... In the passage we heard today, learning this lesson, right? He learns the truth that Jesus, in his challenging conversation with Peter, he turns Peter's unbearable pain from his betrayal into something beautiful. The beauty of Peter being forgiven and healed and restored. And was the process hard and uncomfortable? Yes. 
Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love? I mean, you know, the third time Peter is like overwhelmed and it is hard, but that's sometimes what healing is. But in that moment, Peter is reinstated. He is a part of the club. In fact, he's the guy, right? The rock upon which Jesus built his church. And so Peter's life is restored. And then we witness the meaning Peter makes of this encounter as he learns to sacrificially love like Jesus loves. So he follows Jesus and lives and loves like Jesus. And so how do we embark on a life that has the capacity to turn our pain into beauty? Susan Cain writes, most of all, bittersweetness shows us how to respond to pain by acknowledging it and attempting to turn it into art the way musicians do or healing or innovation or anything else that nourishes the soul. What might our meaning-making look like? Susan shares numerous examples in the book, but one inspiring story was by Dr. William Breitbart. Dr. Breitbart is the chair of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Susan writes, he works with dying cancer patients, not to cure them, not to extend their lives, not to even ease their physical pain. His mission is to give his patients a sense of meaning in the time they have left. Wow. Through a program he developed called Meaning-Centered Psychotherapy. And so Breitbart noticed that people who are terminal often want to go ahead and die. They don't want to even live the life they have left. They have lost their sense of meaning. And so he shares meaning-making is the heart of humanity. It gives us the power to transcend suffering. Right? And so he and his partners, they, have, they dive into people in the worst seasons of their life. And they pour into helping them discover that there is meaning in your life, even if you have three months to live. Right? why he's committed to this unusual calling and Breitbart says the answer began before he was born his mother was 14 and his father 17 when the Nazis came to Poland hunting down Jews they met, they were Jewish they met while in hiding and they ultimately survived the war but when they went to their respective hometowns no one was left of their families they made their way to New York and found work he is a night clerk. She sewing ties. They had a son. A son whose life course was determined by the events that happened before he was born. For his home, like many filled with Holocaust survivors, was a home in which loss and death and suffering were very real. His life was infused with survivor's guilt. His parents would say, why did we survive? When so did not. Though they never spoke of it out loud, it was abundantly clear to Breitbart what it was. They'd survived in order to have a son who would go out into the world and reduce pain for others. Breitbart could have viewed the legacy of sorrow and suffering he inherited as a burden. And this is where it gets tricky in our life, right? There is a moment when things happen or, or the load that we carry from our family or our past where we have to choose what to do with it. 
And he could have just totally rejected it or pushed it down and deflected from it. But instead, that's not what he did, right? He could have allowed it to burden him or to crush him, but instead he allowed it to infuse his life with meaning. This is a hard background to infuse your life with meaning, to allow that to happen, right? And I think for all of us, when we face pain and suffering, that's the problem, right? If we're going to turn our pain into something beautiful, it's going to be weighty and hard and difficult in a way that joyous things, right, are not. He says, there has to be a reason, a meaning for why we survived and others didn't. For Breitbart, as I said earlier, the meaning he made from all from it all was working with terminal cancer patients to give them a sense of meaning in the time they have left. Breitbart says this of his patients who find out that they are terminal. That really knocks you off your life trajectory. The challenge is, how do you transcend this new trajectory? Your responsibility is to create a life of meaning, of growth, of transformation. It so happens that very few people grow from success. People grow from failure. They grow from adversity. They grow from pain. Breitbart's meaning-making has been found in helping others make meaning even in the darkest of their lives. Breitbart's life course was determined by events that happened in his parents' lives. As we talked about a few minutes ago, God calls each of us as Christians for our life course to be determined by the legacy Jesus leaves behind. Our meaning-making is most profound when, like Jesus, we give our lives away to others. This is where we as Christians, as people of faith, have tremendous advantage in this hard process we're talking about of living a full and abundant life. That is, as Christians, we understand and have a hope of what is to come. We've been singing about how God is our guiding light, leading us home. We know there's a home that we're going to go to that's going to be beyond all the suffering and pain. And that allows us to make meaning in this life in a way that's different than if you don't have any understanding of life after this life. And so may we hear that today and remember that, that that's, that's God. He knows how hard this life is, and he's giving us that opportunity to have hope and meaning-making because we can trust and have faith in the story of Jesus. And so no matter what the world says, suffering and healing, gain and loss, joy and sorrow, life and death, they are not detours. They are integral to every human life, both sides. The question is, how might God be calling us to make meaning from these bittersweet experiences in a way that turns it into something beautiful? We're about to enter our time of communion, and as we hear the prayers that Mark is about to pray, listen carefully because they're going to remind us of how Jesus transformed his pain and suffering into something beautiful.